0: I'm start today with a question. When you're under stress, when things are not going well in your life, do you tend to run off to be alone or do you tend to run to someone to help you out? There's not really a right or wrong answer. This is not a moral question. This is a, a personality type. Uh, some of us have a personality type that when, when things are difficult, we like to get alone and kind of think it through and maybe lick our wounds a little bit. Uh, if you're like that, that's the way that I am. I can remember all the way back to my childhood being that way. I remember my high school years. You know, high school's so tough. You have so many breakups and heartbreaks and difficulties. And I remember so many times hopping on my my bike before I had my driver's license and, and just going out in the middle of the night and riding under the stars or the moon and just being alone to kind of think and process. That's how I tend to to deal with stuff. And as I've gotten older, I've always found places where I can get alone to work through stuff. I wonder uh, how many of you have that personality type. You don't need to raise your hand, but I think most of the men I know are that way. I also know a lot of women who are that way. This isn't a gender stereotype thing. This is a personality type that a lot of us have. When things are difficult when we don't know what to do, or when things are just overwhelming, we kind of break away to get alone and think through things. And if that's you, I'm really, really talking to you today. If that's you, I'm having a heart-to-heart with you because I'm the same way. And if that's not you, if if when you have a hard day, your first thing is to call someone and to run to someone else, well, the truth's that we're going to see today are still true, you're probably just going to be like, oh yeah, absolutely. That's totally true. And uh, for some of us who prefer to go alone to work through stuff, um, some of these truths may be a bit of a challenge to us. You see, uh, getting alone to work through stuff is perfectly good and healthy and great. There's nothing that's not spiritual about it. In fact, that can be a very spiritual thing. Problem for some of us who are wired that way is that we just keep getting alone. We keep getting alone and we start to isolate ourselves emotionally. Sometimes we even isolate ourselves physically. Uh, we get more and more land. And we move further and further away from people within the house. We move further and further into the, the man cave. Don't see too many women caves, right? For those of us with this personality type, there's nothing wrong with it, but we can start to isolate emotionally and physically and relationally. Here's the observation. Success and stress tend to pull us inward and away from others. Success and stress, two very different things. But for those of us with this personality type, in fact, for the majority of us, either one of these great success You know, you're in a sales job, and it's like, man, all of a sudden, you're getting all these commission checks, so you're just going to lean into it. I mean, the getting is good, and there's not really a lot of time to have meaningful relationships right now because I'm just so successful. Things are going so well. i got to kind of keep the pedal to the metal because I know it's not going to last forever, right? So success can draw us inward and away from others, and also stress, sometimes stress in a time of success, and other times stress for a lack of success, stress because of just the difficulties of life. And, and under the stress, we're overwhelmed. We don't know how to handle it. And we, we move further and further inward emotionally. And even in our relationships where we used to hang out with some people who, who really knew us, well now, man, how am I gonna show up and just smile to all these people and tell them everything's good? I mean, I don't wanna depress them too. I mean, things are pretty tough for me. So we, so we move Inward, we move away from people. Have you seen this tendency at work in your life or in your spouse's life? Maybe you're there right now. Maybe you're in a time of great success or a time of great stress. And as a result, there's been a trajectory in recent months or weeks or maybe years where you've just slowly been moving more and more inward. You've slowly been pulling away from some real relationships. Here's the irony. We tend to think, I'll get into community later when I have less stress or when I don't have to manage so much success. That's that's when I'll get into community. You know, because right now, right now, I can't even think about doing one more thing. Right now, life is so crazy. But someday, when I'm a little less stressed out, someday, when I don't have quite as much opportunity and low hanging fruit that's just all around me, someday, that's when I'll get into real community. I think maybe, you know, after I graduate from college, I just got to get through these finals or I just got to get through med school. once, Once I'm done with that, and they're like, well, well, once I'm married, well, once we're settled into our marriage, then we'll get into community. Well, well, the kid, these young kids are crazy. Once we're a little bit older, then we'll get into community. Oh, now mom and dad need to get into an assisted, assisted living home. Once, once we get them in an assisted living home, then we'll get into community. Oh man, we just got this new RV. We got to check out the country. Once, once we've checked out the country, once we've really lived up retirement, then We'll get into community. And if we're not careful, if we live the typical American trajectory, we can go our entire lives saying that soon we're going to get into community. Here's the irony, especially for those of us who, on that trajectory, are emotionally moving further and further inward. It's that we carry with us an inner loneliness, In the midst of all the busyness, in the midst of all the success, in the midst of all the stress, you can can be in a house with a whole bunch of people and you can be lonely inside. So there's this irony, there's this tension that we're carrying around this inner loneliness and and yet we're resisting relationships, maybe because it hurts in our past, Maybe because we're just overwhelmed. Maybe I think for us men, because we feel like every relationship we go to, people want something from us. We look back at our family of origin and things are messed up there, so there's not really a lot of hope in uh, having a close relationship there. And we look at our our kids and our spouse and, and our work. Everywhere we go, people want stuff from us. And it's stressful. It's exhausting. And so we just move deeper and deeper inward. Well, thankfully, we have a creator who knows us better than we know ourselves. Because whether we acknowledge it or not, that trajectory does not lead to a good place. Stay on that path long enough, and it leads to deep depression. It, It leads to grabs for relationship that are impulsive grabs at affairs and other things that because you're so lonely and finally, in a moment, it looks like there's a connection and and you have suffocated your soul. And so your soul gasps out for air in unhealthy ways. You have a creator who designed you, who knows you, who wants something better for you. And here's what he tells us today. The more success or stress I have the more I need believers who know the real me. As often is the case with our creator who knows us better than we know ourselves, what we need is the opposite of what we feel, and it's the opposite of what we do in our own nature. He says, it, it, actually, when you think I'm too stressed or I'm too successful or there's just too much going on for me to be in real relationship, that is the very time when it's the most important. The more stressed out you are, the more discouraged you are, the more overwhelmed you are, the more successful and great everything is going, the more that stuff is, the more you need real believers who know not a facade of you, but the real you. Well, I want to take you on a journey today into a Bible story uh, that is going to teach us about this truth. And I want to give credit to a great pastor named Andy Stanley. I, I saw him a while ago teach on this passage. I never would have put this passage together with community um, apart from him. So I want to give him credit for that. If you've got a Bible with you, turn to 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to find a king who's probably in his 50s at this point, a king named David. And uh, you may be familiar with David. You've probably heard of David and Goliath. David was a shepherd boy. Uh, He had a fairly rural life ahead of him, but he loved God. And God was looking for a king to lead his people. God was looking for a man after his own heart. And God saw that in this young shepherd boy who would who would write songs while he was out there in the wilderness tending the sheep. He would sing to God. He just loved God. Scripture calls him a man after God's own heart. So God chooses David, anoints him, And kind of supernaturally empowers him first to defeat Goliath, but then supernaturally to be a leader and a warrior in ways that were just almost beyond human. David was this great leader and this great warrior. He was empowered by God. And at this point in David's life, in 2 Samuel chapter 11, David is at the height. I mean, his kingdom has expanded, uh, you know, millions of people under his rule and millions of acres. And he's got armies at his command. I mean, David is at the top of his game. No one probably, for sure in the region, perhaps in the world at this time, no one is more successful than David. And just like a dad sometimes feels like, man, everyone wants money from me or emotional energy from me. Can you imagine what it's like as a king? Everyone who talks to you wants something from you. No one just comes to you to see how you're doing and and care about you. Uh, They come into your presence because they need something or they want something. David is under stress, and he's also experiencing a whole lot of success. That's where we find him here in 2 Samuel chapter 11. We're going to read this story pretty quickly, and I'll give you guys a little bit of context on the way. Verse 1, in the spring, at the time when kings go off to war, David sent Joab out with the king's men and the whole Israelite army. So, so every spring, this was a, a cultural thing at the time, every spring, kings would go to war. And it, you kind of didn't have a choice, right? Because your kingdom bumps up to neighboring kingdoms, right? Let's say your kingdom is Arizona. Well, if every spring, um, New Mexico and California uh, and Nevada decide to go to war against you, do you really have a choice if you're going to go to war or not? Uh, So every spring, there's kind of this uh, redefining and competing of the boundary lines and the territorial lines in the area, and this was just the way it was. Uh, In fact, a lot of the fighting in that area still happens seasonally. Uh, In the spring, when kings go off to war, David sent out, look at that, the king's men. Well, who are the king's men? Let's answer that question. Who are the king's men? The king's men were these guys. Through their combined strength of relationship, David and his mighty men, they're sometimes called, they had together built this entire kingdom of wealth and prosperity. Now, it was God who did the work, but God worked through David's mighty men. Here's a scripture passage about them in First Chronicles 11. It tells us, these were the chiefs of David's mighty men. So this was written before our text today in in 2 Samuel. These were the chiefs of David's mighty men. So this is a specific group of actual really strong warriors who David, every spring, he'd go out with these same guys uh, and they would build up their kingdom. They, together with all Israel, gave his kingship strong support to extend it over the whole land. As the Lord had promised. So God did the work, but God worked through David and these mighty men. This is the list of David's mighty men. And someday, if you really want to learn a bunch of ancient names, you can read First Chronicles eleven and, and read all these guys. And we're just gonna point one out because he's gonna come up later in the story. Uriah the Hittite is one in this list of these really loyal, really tenacious warriors who helped David to build his kingdom. Well, let's go back to 2 Samuel 11, verse 1. In the spring, when kings usually go off to war, David sent out his mighty men. So this is different. Every year in the past, David had gone with his mighty men. And for the first time, David sends them out. Now, I can't imagine the camaraderie of a man who you have bled next to. A man who there was an arrow or a spear or a sword coming at you and he sticks his shield in there and then you reach around it and get the guy. I mean, can you imagine the camaraderie? I mean, in our modern society, if we go camping with some other guys or hunting or even if we play softball or golf, we start to bond. Men bond when we do stuff together. Well, think of these guys for months at a time. They're away from their families, and they are fighting side by side. I mean, they've got each other's back in the most literal sense. These men know each other better than anyone else knows them. I see this some with uh, some of our friends in this church family who are uh, firefighters and policemen. You hear, you, when you hang out with them, you hear about what goes on on their shifts and you realize these guys who are firefighters together or police officers together, they really know each other maybe better than their families know them because they're just together. And they're together through some really difficult stuff. Let's look at verse 2. One evening, David's not out with his men. He sends them out and he's at home. Got up from his bed Walked around on the roof of, a, of the palace. Let's just pause there. Doesn't that sound like an inward trajectory isolated person? And that's exactly what I do at night when I have stress in my life or too much success in my life. I go outside by myself and I walk around. Got to watch out for the coyotes this time of year. From the roof, David saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful. Beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Now, here's the person who's going to go find out about her, verse 3b. The man said, isn't this Bathsheba? So, so David calls a servant. He says, hey, uh, go get that hottie for me. Right, And the guy comes to him and says, um, David, I'm, that hottie is Bathsheba, and that's the wife of Uriah the Hittite. In other words, um, king, before I go and obey your orders, do you realize that one of your mighty men who you have fought and bled with, who's out fighting for you now, do you realize the the reason that she's there at her house by herself is because he's out fighting for you? Do you just want to make sure you know what you're doing here, king? Then David sent messengers to get her. See, when you're isolated emotionally, as you draw further and further inward relationally, you you start to lose perspective. And, and, And it puts you in a place where you will make stupid choices that you know are stupid as you're making them. And you know it's a mistake. But you're so inwardly lonely. And you're so out of relationship with the people who could really know you that you feel like you don't even have a choice in making the choice. Let's keep reading. She came to him, and he slept with her. Then she went back home. The woman conceived and sent word to David, saying, I am pregnant. So David sent word to Joab, Send me Uriah the Hittite. And Joab sent him to David. Because what do uh, isolated men do when they get in trouble? They try to control the situation, right? An isolated man or an isolated person makes a mistake. Well, now I'm not going to go out of my isolation and ask for help. I'm going to go deeper and deeper into my isolation because I can control this, we tell ourselves. When Uriah came to David, David asked him, How's Joab? How are the soldiers? How's the war going? David makes a little bit of small talk before he gets to his point. Then David said to Uriah, Go down to your house and wash your feet. So Uriah left the palace, and then David sends a gift after him. Okay, look now at verse 9. But Uriah, so loyal to David, so loyal to the kingdom, he doesn't go home. He sleeps at the entrance to the palace where all the master's servants were. He did not go down to his house. David finds out about this and he is frustrated. You know, he's like, okay, I'm going I'm to get Uriah home. I'm going to get him to go, you know, have a good time with his wife. And then nine months later, when they have a baby, you know, hey, Uriah, great kid. Congratulations. Well, Uriah refuses to go home. David's plan isn't going to work. David's frustrated. Let's pick up in verse 11. David's now interrogating Uriah. David is now pretty much directly saying, Uriah, please go home and show your wife that you love her. And Uriah says this, the Ark of the Covenant and Israel and Judah are staying in tents. My master Joab and my lord, that's David, your men, are camped in an open field. How could I then go to my house and eat and drink and lie with my wife? As surely as you live, king, I will never do such a thing. Who's the better man in this scenario? Well, next, David gets Uriah drunk. You know, the Bible's pretty interesting if you don't read it. There's a lot of neat stuff in here. David gets Uriah drunk, hoping he'll go home to be with his wife, but Uriah, even when intoxicated, stays at the palace gates with the servants. He's just so loyal to the king, he's a warrior for this kingdom. He's not going to, that's just who he is. So, one attempt to control the situation fails. David starts in on attempt number two, verses 14 and 15. In the morning, David wrote a letter to Joab, that's the commander of the king's men, and sent it with Uriah. Here, Uriah, carry this to Joab. It's sealed, please don't read it. Carry this to Joab. Here's what the letter said. Put Uriah in the front line where the fighting is fiercest. Then withdraw from him so that he will be struck down and die. And Uriah, this faithful, loyal, servant, warrior, carries this message from his king, gives it to his commander, and he dies. Well, David then marries Uriah's widow, Bathsheba, and surprise, she has a baby. Verses 26 and 27 tell us. And scripture's really clear in case you don't know from the tone of the rest of scripture and the commands of God, the story ends this way. Well, it doesn't end, but the telling of this part ends. The thing David had done displeased the Lord. Very obvious, but God doesn't want us to miss it, okay? So God sends a prophet to David because David's little plan to control everything is an utter failure. The servants from that night they, they talk to the other servants. Word gets around. And pretty soon all of Jerusalem knows that David not only slept with the wife of one of his mighty men while the guy was out fighting for him, but then had him killed and then brought her into his palace and made her his wife. Everyone knows this. David's leadership is is starting to dissolve, and he's so isolated he probably doesn't even realize it. And God sends to him a prophet named Nathan. Let's look in chapter 12. The Lord sent Nathan to David. When he came to him, he said, I'm Gonna give David a parable. There were two men in a certain town, one was rich and the other one's poor. Now, while Nathan's telling this to David, David is so isolated relationally and emotionally. He's so inward in his thinking that he really thinks his plan to cover this up has worked. (laughs) He really thinks nobody knows. And Nathan comes and says there were two men in a certain town, one rich, the other poor. The rich man had a very large number of sheep and cattle, but the poor man had nothing except one little ewe, one little baby lamb he had bought. He raised it, and it grew up with him and his children. It shared his food, drank from his cup, even slept in his arms. It was like a daughter to him. You think David, who had been a shepherd boy, as this story is being told, and Nathan's talking about a lamb sleeping in his arms, you think David might have made some emotional connections there? Remembering back to what it feels like to have a little warm pet sleeping in your arms. Verse four, the rich man takes this little lamb that is the prized possession of the poor man and he slaughters it. He, he prepares it, he eats it. He had all these other lambs he could have eaten, but instead of doing that, he takes from this poor man. Well, here's David's response in verse five. David burned with anger against this fictitious man. And said to Nathan, As surely as the Lord lives, the man who did this deserves to die. He must pay for that lamb four times over because he did such a thing and had no pity. And then Nathan responds, David, that man is you. You're the one. You're the one who took the the one prized possession of a poor, faithful man, and you have so much and took it. That's you. And so this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says to you, David. I anointed you king over Israel. I gave your master's house to you. I gave you the house of Israel and of Judah. And if all this had been too little, David, I would have given you even more. What a verse. I mean, David, in your isolation, in your loneliness, under your stress, under the weight of your success, if you had asked me to help you, I would have. You're the richest man in the world right now and I would have given you even more if you had come to me. Verse nine, why did you despise the word of the Lord by doing what is evil in his eyes? Man, what a story. You know, if you grew up in a family where your parents didn't get divorced, you have no idea what the, the pain you might think, you know, if I make this mistake, maybe it could lead to divorce. Well, maybe that wouldn't be so bad. We don't have the best marriage anyway. You have no idea of the pain. And David had no idea. From this moment on, his adult kids, they never take him seriously again. You can't calculate what that will feel like, to be an adult dad and have grown-up kids who they just don't even take you seriously. They think that you're a joke because of the choices you've made. David's kingdom, which was thriving and growing and united, it starts to dissolve. It starts to crumble. Because people who were so loyal to him now start to wonder about his heart and his motives. From this moment on, David's life had peaked. From this moment on, it's going to be downward. God still loves him. God's going to forgive him. But the consequences are real. Civil war is going to come. David's own sons are going to go against him in war. Some of them end up dying. The hardest years of David's life are about to come, a lot harder than when he was a shepherd. So here's a question. How could David, who had been so mighty for God and who was truly a man after God's heart, how could he be so selfish, so unthinking, you could add so stupid, So evil. How could he do that? Here's why. Because when David should have most been in community, he chose isolation. And I'm no better than David. You're no better than David. When he most needed community, he chose isolation. He most needed some people who knew the real him. And the weight of the struggles that he was dealing with, he went inward and inward and inward and isolated. In this true story, we see a man after God's own heart make a foolish, legacy-defining mistake. And the same story happens thousands of times every year. Christian men who have loved God and served God and who have grandkids who look up to them, they, they, they do this same thing. Christian moms and wives who, who love Jesus and they love the Lord, but they're inwardly lonely, they, they do this. This happens every year. Isolation leads to suffocation of your soul. And just like when you come up from diving really deep in a pool, eventually you're going to gasp for air for something. And in your isolation and your desperation, it's probably not going to be a good thing. It's probably not going to be a smart thing. Every one of us is capable of making this kind of legacy-defining mistake. Every one of us. My dad's a pastor, incredible man of God. He's in his late 60s now, and and he'll say, he'll tell me, John, I say, God, God, now that I'm old, keep me from doing something stupid. Every one of us has this capacity. So here's a question for you. Are there some believers who really know you? Are there some believers who really know you and you have isolated yourself from them? Isolation and independence lead to worse life choices. Community and relationship lead to better life decisions. There's room in this for you to go out at night and think by yourself. There's room in this for you to process as an introvert, okay? But if all you're ever doing is processing as an introvert... you're you're not going to make the best life choices that you could. By the way, this is one of those principles, like a lot of principles in Scripture, if you're here and you're not even a Christian, there's some truth you can take from this that will help you in your life. It's not going to give you eternal life, but it'll help you, keep you from making some stupid decisions. Why? Because Scripture says all of our hearts are deceitful. When our emotions get going, we lose perspective. And we need loving people around us who know what we're actually struggling with so they can say, you know, uh, you see it this way and I I see what you're trying to to get at here, but I, I think there's a healthier way to go about it. So here's a question. Where you have had stress or success in your life lately, has it driven you away from the people you most need? Has it driven you away from the people who know the real you? And of course, as Christians, as followers of Christ, we have the benefit that that, that counsel, those people who know the real us, they're not just going to tell us, well, here's what the newest Taylor Swift song says, so do this. Right? They're, they're going to say, well, here's what God's word says, and they're going to speak truth into you, eternal truth, the wisdom of God, the one who knows what you actually need more than you do. Do you have some counselors like that? David's great success came through relationship with his mighty men, the king's men. And David's downfall came when he isolated himself from the only brothers he had spiritually who knew the real him. Over this last weekend, uh, we had a retreat with our elders um, we've got about we've got five elders here, and uh, I get to be one of them. And Pastor Clovis, our executive pastor, he always hangs out with us, and and he's part of our our circle. And we were there to plan and pray for the church, but we had a night where we just shared. Here's what's really going on in each of our hearts. Here's the wounds that each of us are carrying around with us. And you know what? It was a totally safe place. And there were tears, and there was prayer for each other, and there were man hugs. See, everybody has stuff. Everybody has stuff. Your your inner wounds, your inner struggles, you're not a mutant for having those. You're just a human for having those, okay? Everybody has stuff, and there's seasons in life in which you carry heavy, heavy things. Everybody has stuff. Here's the question. Do you have anybody to help you carry your stuff? Do you have anybody to help you carry your stuff? Do you have anybody else who knows your stuff? Or have you followed the natural gravitational pull inward? And if you have, it's normal. You don't have to beat yourself up, but I'm here today to, to tell you there's a, there's a better solution. When you're the most stressed, when you're the most successful, when you most think that you don't have time, that's when you need real relationship with believers who know you. You don't have to have 200 believers who know you, but I sure hope you have two. Has success or stress been isolating you from believers who know the real you? We all have the potential to drift, and that's how it happens, to drift into life-destroying, family-destructing, legacy-defining disasters. We all have it. Authentic community. That is that real relationship with just a few people who know the real you. It protects you from your spiritual enemy who's out to get you. It also protects you from yourself. Protects me from my self. Imagine a life in which you had some people, just a few, but you had some people who know the real you, who know the real deepest fears, regrets, secrets, wounds, stresses, temptations, successes. Imagine a life where you had a few people like that. Imagine a life where you had that and you were that for a few other people because everyone's got stuff, but not everyone has people who can help them carry it. The more success or stress I have, the more I need believers who know the real me. I want to tell you guys two real-life stories from our Cornerstone family, two positive stories of lives that drifted toward isolation that even one even went into a legacy defining mistake but through the power of the cross through Jesus and his people through community god was able to raise a relationship from the ashes to bring life from death to bring hope from a situation that looked totally hopeless This first story is of a couple, and I'm not going to share their names, where the man had drifted into exactly the kind of isolation we've been talking about today. And as is eight or nine times out of ten, the most likely gasp for air from a suffocating, isolated, lonely soul, he had an affair. Because that's just the typical trajectory for a man. So lonely. So lonely inside. And that person is not only physically appealing, but you're actually going after it because you're lonely and you want an emotional bond and you have severed and cut off all the emotional bonds that you had. This man did that. And when he was off living with this younger woman, his wife who could have gone into her own isolation, she came to the church. She came to community. And a group of believers here were able to put their arms around her and say, we love you, we're going to pray with you, we're going to get you through this. And when, when she may have had the, the, the desire to go inward out of false shame or false guilt, she went to community. Does the whole church know who she is? No, they never will. But a few people knew what she was dealing with, and a few people picked her up, put their arms around her, <laughs> carried her, helped her. And after a while, this man, who's also a believer, realized the dead end of the choice he had made, realized it for just the empty lie that it was, and he returned to her, and he returned to the Lord. And that couple now, for two years now, have been healing and are part of our community, and it's the power of the cross that maybe you're here and you're like, wow, John, this is really hitting close to home because no one else knows, but we're, we're actually already there. <laughs> the isolation already led to that. If that's you, that does not have to be the end of your story. It doesn't, doesn't have to end there. It's up to you. If you will reach out to true believers who know you and love you, the power of the cross is able to restore that marriage able to restore you as a man or restore you as a woman. And I I just want to tell that story anonymously so that you guys know there's always hope in Christ. Hopefully some of you, you, you're going to recognize today I'm on that path of isolation and you're going to get off the path. But if it's already gone that far, it's still not too late if you believe in Christ, if you'll give it to Christ, if you'll turn it over to some other true believers. Well, here's a, a second true story, and this one is totally separate story, and this is about a couple, and you'll see them on video in a moment. This is the story of a gentleman who was alone in life, and he was alone, and he got into one of our community groups, and he shared with the leader of that community group that he kept having this draw back to an old relationship, a relationship that was emotionally unhealthy, a relationship that was spiritually unhealthy, a relationship that he knew was not the best thing for him, but he was so lonely, he was so strongly drawn back toward that. And his community group leader, and and then some other Christian men through that community group leader were able to lovingly tell him, don't do that. God has something better for you. Christ is enough for you. Keep seeking Christ and he'll give you something better. Just trust us. Trust us. We love you. We want the best for you. God has something better for you than that old, dysfunctional, emotionally and spiritually unhealthy relationship. And because he stepped into community in his time of stress and duress, the community of believers helped him realize what he actually needed. And in time, he started to find his joy in Christ. Uh, In fact, he'll tell you if you ask him, his community group became coming to Sunday and then looking forward to that evening when he'd meet with his community. Those were the highlights of his week. He'd be prayed over. They could cry there. He could bear the burdens of others. They would bear the burdens of him. And guess what God did after a while? God sent a gal into that community group who was also looking for a healthy relationship. And Richard and Cheryl DeMauro have now been married for two years, met in a community group here. Here's a few things they say about their community group where they met and where they continue to find real relationship with other believers. Cheryl says this, I feel confident in knowing when I have a need that many will be praying for my need and there's complete confidence that what I state in our group stays in our group. It's a place of sharing and caring, of compassion, understanding, and love, of tears and laughter, of friends and family. Through my community group, I learned to trust again and to share. I found a place to belong and not feel criticism, but instead feel love. Isn't that what our inner persons, isolated and suffocating, all want? She says, I can't say enough about community group. Plus, there was one added bonus. This is where I met my wonderful husband, Richard. And she says, it doesn't always work that way. She says, don't join a community group for that reason alone. Richard says this, when I was going through the pain of a broken heart, and I thought that, my, that at my age, I should just go back to that old relationship. My community group leader was there for me and helped me to be more patient and wait for God's answer. It was a lonely and trying time. But I remember one pastor giving me a hug in 2011, and he whispered in my ear to stick with the believers. Soon after that, I met Cheryl. Cheryl was guided to Cornerstone by God. She was placed in our Tuesday night home group by the Holy Spirit. Cheryl and I met, we dated, and we fell in love. Pastor Dan married us at the Rosser campus two years ago now. And he says, this is all about faith in Jesus and a divine intervention and a real-life current testimony of God's miracles. He says, Cheryl and I know so well that just going going to church is not enough. We would like to express how powerful and life-changing that 90 minutes of home group can be. We witness firsthand the love, caring, and power of prayer at a group. No matter how tired you may feel, I can tell you, this may be the meeting that makes a difference in your life. Well, this time I'm going to ask our community group hosts and leaders who are here with us to join me up on stage. And as they do, you guys are going to get to uh, see Richard, Richard and Cheryl uh, yourselves. So come on up. If you're a community group leader or host, uh, if you're a couple, come on up and just come right up here with me. We want to um, pray for you guys. God's using you guys. Come on up all this place. I can explain uh, how I found uh, Cornerstone. This was through uh, my good friend Guy Noss. He knew of uh, my pain and heartache that I was going through a divorce. Uh, He and his wife Diane had invited me here to Cornerstone. Guy was not afraid to approach me, uh, ask me if uh, I wanted to pray. I did. Uh, we prayed together, and uh, I, I was accepted Jesus Christ, and I was reborn uh, at that time in 2011. From Bible group in this church, Cheryl and I met each other. Christ had His plan for us. You know, I, I need to say, even at my age of 69, that uh, it's not too late to reach out for Jesus Christ, and He's there for you. That's right. You know, another neat thing with Richard and Cheryl, um, Cheryl has a uh, a medical condition now that she uh, has been getting worse through the years where uh, she's really highly sensitive to chemical exposure. So uh, certain perfumes and other things can set off. An allergic reaction in her, so so they came to church, met at church, and now Cheryl's not actually able to come to these gatherings because of that condition. But they watch on Sunday; they're probably watching right now, and uh, and then they get together with their community group, who knows Cheryl's needs and knows to not you know put on a bunch of cologne before they come, and uh, and and they uh, you know a thing that could have isolated them has not uh, because they see the value of this. I want you to look in your program; you'll see this card. And if, if you need some real relationships with real believers, we are here to help you get that. If you're a man and you want to be in a relationship with just other guys, or a woman with just other women, or you're a couple, or you're uh, single, or you're young, or whatever age you are, uh, we will help you find a place that you're comfortable where people really know you if you will just step out, if you'll step out of your out of your comfort zone just enough. So you can fill this out, and on your way out, there's a bucket, or you can text GROUP to this number on the screen. Uh, It might be easier. Maybe you don't have a pen, or maybe you do have a pen. It would just be easier to just text the word GROUP to 928-899-4217, and our community group's pastor will help you find a group that fits you well. Or if you know somebody up here, These lovely men and women. If you know someone up here, just tell them you want to be in their group. uh, Because these are a number of our community group hosts and leaders. We love you guys. Yes. The, the, the real work of changing lives and restoring people is happening through you guys. So we as a church family just want to say thank you and that we love you and keep it up. And thank you for being Christ and serving his bride and his body. Uh, we're going to pray for you guys now and uh, we'll, then we'll clap for you again. So Lord, we thank you for these men and these women. We thank you that you uh, take broken people and you heal us and then you use us to heal others. And then even as we're healing others, Lord, we're not perfect and we still carry inner wounds and stresses and struggles. And and you give us each other to pick each other up, to dust each other off to carry each other across this finish line of following you through this fallen world. So, Lord, I want to pray for every man and woman on this stage and every one of our community group hosts and leaders. Will you empower them by your Holy Spirit? Will you encourage them that what they're doing makes all the difference? Will you make our groups places that are real and authentic? that that each of us would be risking a little more and sharing what's really going on, and that each of us would be respecting the others in our group to keep those things in in total confidence because, Lord, we all have stuff. And, Lord, I know your desire here today is that everyone in this room would have someone who knows their stuff and who can help them carry their stuff. So, Lord, right now, right now, will you put it on the hearts of people in here to, to text that number, You can just quietly text that number even now. Lord, right now when you work in people, There there are men and women who are on the inward trajectory of isolation. Some who've already seen the destruction and disaster. And Lord, if they'll get into community, if they'll call out, if they'll reach out to your people, you can heal and you can redeem. Lord, there are other individuals and couples in here who are drifting on that path to isolation and they're just days or weeks or or months away from a legacy-defining disaster. Lord, today, will you work in the heart of those men? Will you work in the hearts of those women to text this number or to fill out that card and to find two or three or four men and women or women who know the real them who, when they share that struggle, can say, oh, yeah, I relate. I have those same feelings. I have that same struggle. Let's carry each other. Let's help each other. Lord, you desire for everyone in this room to be in loving, fulfilling relationship. Will you give us the courage to just take that little step out and get into a group? We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the audio from Cornerstone Church in Prescott, Arizona. For more information, visit us online at www.prescottcornerstone.com.